Welcome to Mobile Armor Radio, the podcast for all things Mecha. Jump ship incoming. Welcome to Mobile Armor Radio. I am one of your hosts, Brian. And I'm Chopper. And I'm Rob. And we've got an exciting episode for you. Welcome to the the new crispy year of 2021. It's going to be much better. future. Is this, <laughs> is this a new season? No. Not, is it? not yet. No, 36 no? would be the new season, right? 36 yeah. news. You're right. Yeah, so this is five, five episode 31. Yep, we're we're going we're going good. We're going strong. Amazing. Yeah, thirty one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, probably. It's a good year for podcast, that's for sure. Yeah, ain't that the truth? Well, speaking of that, let's get uh, our show on the road. We're gonna head on over to the dropship and talk about what we're working on. Dropship landing. All right, welcome to the dropship. This is where we talk about our little hobby crafty time. That's uh, where we're working on stuff. And I think I'm going to throw it over to Rob. What have you been working on lately? Is it because I'm the only one who actually does anything? <laughs> hey, stop it. Actually, I haven't we done much. feel like starting the year off strong, you know, the, the right foot. There you go. Or the left uh, foot, whichever stronger. I haven't done much, but I have been 3D printing stuff. I did get uh I always back stuff and and do Patreons and stuff. So I have a lot of mechs to print. Uh first one I did is uh I backed the Patreon for Cyberforge Miniatures and it's uh I forget what the name of the actual company is, but this Cyberforge one, it's a lot of uh cool like cyberpunky kind of stuff, but lots of mechs, lots of vehicles. It's really cool. And I think it's like ten bucks a month, and you get a ton of of models. So I, I've been doing those. Nice. And I also uh, I didn't back this one. It was it was a Kickstarter originally, but it never we went through. Is the Teco Toys? They're doing those uh, those mech uh, action figures, kind of that were large. They're now they're doing these mini mechs. It's the same ones, but in less articulation, and a little less detail. But they're three D print files. And all the uh, all the links will be in the show notes. But I've been printing those up. The uh, the mini mechs and uh how much what's the size of those you think when they're fi- finished yeah. i would think about maybe 70 millimeter but you can scale them obviously it's 3d printing you can make them bigger it's just the detail that, isn't as much what's that in the united states height you do miniatures <laughs> you know what miniatures are i know I'm messing around uh it's probably i don't know three inches maybe a little bit bigger I don't know. We'll see. I haven't. I haven't uh, completed a whole minute one yet. I'm still printing. So, <laughs> can I? Can I interrupt you for just a second? No. On the on the, on the Cyberforge minis. Yep. Uh, are those the STLs? Uh, have they been glitchy at all, or have they been pretty good? No, glitchy. No. Why? Have you had problems with STLs? Well, you know, I've gotten some STLs, and they've just had some glitches on them, and they uh, lead to uh, some bad prints. And then when really? when they yeah, and but you know they've owned up to it, uh, and they said, "Oh, yeah, it was kind of a glitch, so we fixed the problem, and now it should print fine." And it does when they fix it. Oh, is that some other company, or was it this company? It was another company. This is Titan Forge Miniatures, by the way, who's the parent company. Uh no, so, I've printed. Uh, they're fine. I haven't had an issue with oh, any of them. I was just curious because it was a Patreon, not a Kickstarter. I think it's probably uh, your fault, not theirs, but that's <laughs> <laughs> no, because they fessed up. Yeah, did they? They said the code was wrong, and they fixed it. Oh really? No, I haven't. I yeah. uh, haven't had that issue. So, 
the fixing it goes a long way. <laughs> it does. Well, that's the best thing about these files. They just re-upload the correct file if they have an issue. So I, I, I think sometimes, I think I did back one Kickstarter a while ago that they uploaded the wrong file or something and they had to re-upload the file. And yet it was like an earlier version of it or something. But these guys so far, they, uh, Titan Forge Miniatures, they've been around for a long time doing STLs. So I think they're pretty professional at it. They know what they're doing. Great. This is their cyberpunk ones. It's pretty fun. Even for Christmas, they did a bunch of, uh, ornaments and stuff they gave away, which is fun. It, it was a it was a good time, uh, yeah. So other than that, I think I'd just be doing that. I haven't painted anything in forever. I have I have all my BattleTech miniatures to paint. I, I even bought more paint. I just haven't got around to doing it. I don't know why. <laughs> I haven't had to. Hey, I'll have lots of time now. I I think I'm I'm going to be in lockdown. So <laughs> yeah, uh, lots of time to paint everything up. That's that'll be my New Year's resolution is to paint something. I'll be mine too. It's good to have have those. <laughs> So that's all I've been doing. What about uh, Pat? What have you been up to? Oh, not a whole lot. Also, uh, it's just been working a lot overtime again. Uh, wife's been on the furlough, so I just been kind of picking up extra shifts when I can, just to just to take up a little bit of a slack and stuff. I mean, uh, but I that being said, since she's home all the time, I've asked her to help me. Uh, if anyone knows my wife, you know, she's a scenic set designer and she does great work. Uh, uh, she's made these ridiculous cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like she made a cuckoo clock oh, out of wow. gingerbread. She made a gingerbread cuckoo clock. It's weird. It's just strange. So uh, as last time we talked, I was going to try and work on – I wanted to make a Mazinger diagram. Diorama. Diagram. Diorama. <laughs> So I needed, uh, I was, so I went with her to give me a little bit of advice on how to get the building started and to make them look really good, like really crushed and cracked and things like that. So I've started on that end of the diorama itself. I haven't actually started working on the model. I figure like if I can get the base done, base buildings done, then I will know how to position them when I get them there. So I've started 3D printing some windows and doors and I've have stencils cut for the foam core to make the actual buildings and stuff. Uh, so it was her suggestion that I, I 3D print inserts for the window so they'll look better. So I said just cut squares. Okay. Uh, that way you can put little uh, window dividers and all these other things and door jams. So uh, if you've seen any of her work too, she's, you know, she's made some really small, like she made a luthier shop. If anyone knows a luthier, is this big guy who makes violins? <laughs> oh, yeah, and she like she three D printed bagels and yeah, it was crazy coffee coffee mugs on to sit on his desk. And that was oh, I would say it's less than twenty eight millimeter scale, right? Like it's small. Yeah, she, I think she she was running twenty eight because was she, it twenty eight? Yeah. I mean the true twenty eight, not not the heroic twenty eight because yeah. the they they sit around the same size as the dead zone figs. Wow. Gotcha. Wow. So uh, I've been working on that a little bit. Uh, uh, Didn't get much work done on Devastator. He's still kind of in pieces and and half painted. But again, like Rob, I think with the coming new year after the holidays, I think I'll get a little second wind here and really want to get to get that Devastator together while I'm building buildings. (laughs) Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) Building, building, buildings. building buildings? Building, buildings. I'll, I'll be building, building buildings. 
Um, but again, since the last time, you know, I just didn't get too much done because I've been reading again. I, I, you know, I got to figure that out. Why is it I can read a lot and not hobby, or I can hobby a lot and not read? I mean, does anyone else have that problem, or is it just me? Well, they both do require a lot of focus and eyes. So, unless you've got another set of eyes, or audiobooks, or you I pay find, somebody to paint. <laughs> I find audiobooks, I lose <laughs> concentration read? on audiobooks. That's fair. I'll be like, paying thing? attention, then I'll be like, oh wait, I haven't heard that whole chapter, I stopped paying attention. I get yeah. sleepy. They put me to sleep. Yeah. So I don't do audiobooks that well because I get sleepy. That's fair. Sleep. I definitely don't listen to them in a the car. I get sleepy <laughs> enough in a car as it is, as Rob will tell you. Yeah. To wake them up as they're driving scares me. <laughs> he scares me. That's that's uh, actually where I listen to most of my podcasts, and I've been working from home lately. So, <laughs> podcasts I find it's because you don't really have to concentrate as much. I find I, I can do that. Like, oh, if I'm on a treadmill or something, I'll listen to podcasts. But uh, yeah, I find it's yeah. If it's an actual fiction book, I can't do it. Huh. Weird. Well, what about you, uh, Brian? What have you been working on? Anything? Well, the the building buildings thing is actually an interesting segue for me. I have been working up on finally painting some scenery that I got from um, Death Ray Designs, I believe, is there. If you yeah. search Death Ray Terrain, um, they make this kind of like modular terrain uh, system where it's like basically like a big cube that has a bunch of like little hooks on or like uh, like insert parts on it. And they have like hookable scenery add-ons to make different kind of buildings and customizations. It's a really cool system. Um, and I've had, I've had one for the longest time that I've been, um, using here and there for dead zone. Um, and I'm like, finally like, okay, I, I've, I had this thing primed. I think I got it at a Depticon. The last Adepticon I went to, so <laughs> which obviously wasn't last year. So this oh, is like two years now. That's just sad. Yeah, uh, and I I'd had it primed and everything like that in gray, and it's just it just kind of sat there. And I I'm really I should preface this. I'm really bad at painting terrain. Like it's something I've I kind of struggled to really wrap my head around. It, it's um. It's, it's it is weird because I can paint these tiny, you know, details. I can paint eyes on twenty eight millimeter figurines, but when it comes to like, what does the side of a building look like? <laughs> How do I paint this? Um, it leaves me scratching my head, and uh, and so I've actually been like going online and looking up um, some like ter- uh, scenery painting tutorials and things like that. Trying to trying to up my game just a little bit, um, and uh, so far I've had some mixed results. I'm finding that contrast paints don't work great with MDF. Um, <laughs> Soaking too much, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's just it's not blending very well. So this first, I'm gonna just kind of treat this as like a first draft uh, for for some of these things. Um, I've got I've got more terrain, but it, it's it's like. Um, I did like my uncertain scenery a while back. Um, you wanna you wanna do big brush kind of a thing. 
Yeah, it's that's a big that's a big part of it, and I've been wondering if I want to do different paints than model paints, um, and, and do something a bit more kind of like traditional acrylic. Like you could definitely use the cheap, the cheaper acrylics that you can get in yeah. bulk. And yeah, you, you know, like you want to Hobby Lobby or something. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. I mean, it's it's wood, so <laughs> like it'll yeah. it'll stick to it. Um, so I think, I think the big thing is I just kind of, um, need that I'm working on finding a little bit of inspiration. Some of the videos that I found had some really neat ideas on using things like tape to create striping, um, like really simple, basic striping. And I'm just like, man, that's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) You can even go crazy and do, uh, make your own acrylic stains. Yeah, I'm not going that crazy. <laughs> On a budget. Um, well, no. Basically, you just take that uh, bulk acrylic paint, water it down, and then you got basically uh, kind of a stain. Oh, really? Yeah. The more you know. And then how much how much how much you layer on uh, dictates how dark it is. Gotcha. Hmm. I'm gonna have to try some of that. I know. Um, I know Rick. Rick Hall. You, uh, do you remember those? Me. Do you remember those wooden cowboy buildings we had? In your probably your very first Adepticon. The wooden cowboy buildings. Were you there? I know Rob remembers them. Yeah, we, we had them for a. We had them for a dead zone scenario. I don't know if I remember that one. Oh, that's too bad because those were done with just uh, a brown stain. I didn't do anything but stain a brown. Okay. Yeah, I think my my first Adepticon uh, was where uh, they had jet bike racing. I think Mech Mech, uh, Battle was there. The first one or the second one? Uh, I think it was the... Yeah, you weren't there the first year, I don't think, were you? I I, I didn't get to play it, uh, but I think I remember hearing that it existed. (laughs) Um, But yeah, anyway, um, that's, that's... a big thing on the hobby side I'm trying to do a little bit more with um, is is to, you know, I, I one thing I did was, um, this is a little bit more on a later topic, but I played through a solo Dead Zone campaign. And with that, it was like, you know, setting up these boards and, and playing around uh, with, with different things and setups and whatnot. And then, so that, that's where it really kind of kicked, kicked it in where it's like, man, I want this to look better. <laughs> and so um but yeah that's that's kind of been the focus of of my hobby time uh lately i've been doing a lot of other stuff but we'll get to that in the next segment of the show comstar message from comstar i'm brian and i'm rick from deads on the podcast and you're listening to mobile armor radio Welcome back to Comstar. So this is the section of the show where we talk about uh, all sorts of other things like TV, movies, books, comics, RPGs, video games, anything under the sun uh, that is is mecha related or or that we've been enjoying lately. So I'm going to throw it over to Pat to start off this segment. Oh well, let's see. You what said you've been doing to? some reading. <laughs> I have. I've been reading uh, like. I think it's the is it the Blood of Krensky or Children Krensky trio, the new one or the old one, the old one. That's Blood of Krensky. Yeah, the, the the original three books that introduces the clans. 
so I started reading those again, um, finishing up book one, moving on to book two. I uh, kept playing around a little bit more with uh, the mecha hack, actually. I was mm. thinking about maybe, uh, well, now that since Rob's going into lockdown, that means Jack and, well, is Jack essential? No, he's essential. So he's not going to go to lockdown. Yeah. Uh, but just thinking maybe doing a one-up. Uh, I've been kind of playing around with the reading the rules again, playing with some characters, thinking up scenarios how to do this. Uh, it's kind of real open-ended, very first D and D, so it's kind of hmm. it's kind of cool. And so uh, original first edition AD and D kind of style. So uh, that being said, you know I'm still working on fleshing something out for Mecha Hack and. Uh, putting together tokens and maps to play on World 20. So when we try it out, those who are interested in running a mech, uh, that'll be coming soon. Uh, what else have I read? Uh, oh, I was reading the... Oh, Christ. What is that? Uh, I'm trying to look for it on my shelf. Oh, I started going through the new technical manual of the Battletech book that we got from Gen Con a couple years ago. Was it two years ago? Last year? Year before last? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows anymore? So I was the, going to the that distant again. past of twenty. I know we got it at Gen Con. Eighteen. Uh, <laughs> I put it on the shelf and I just haven't gotten to it. And I was one day I was just kind of staring at my bookshelf and I went, oh, let's look through that thing because I'm sure that's got some great information in there. To you know, maybe I could steal and put in my mecha hack game. <laughs> so I started rifling through that book, and it's got some really good stuff in there. If you're really interested in the technical side of the of the battle mechs, battle tech mechs, and stuff like that, so um, I haven't watched anything though. I was trying to move on to the next Gundam series after uh, after Zeta, which is uh, I can't even remember the now. Double Zeta. Which one is it? Double zero after Zeta. Du- double Zeta would be yeah. after Zeta. Yeah. Or as my my friend Nick describes as Judo and the Junkyard Kids. Judo. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my next move into watching something would be probably Double Zeta, if that's the chron- chronological order. It yeah. Is indeed. So. Uh, I think I think it goes that, uh, then Shars Counterattack, then Unicorn. Mm, unicorn. I do love me some Shars Counterattack, though. God, that's such a great thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, all right. Bounce it back to you, Brian. Okay. Uh, I've actually, I've, uh, for one thing, I finished playing, uh, the first Zone of the Enders game, um, which probably won't surprise many people as it is, in fact, very short. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think I even took a while to play it. Um, where I, I'm trying to think if I broke double digits. It's a very short game. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's a fun one. It holds up really well. Um, I think the controls are just a little weird because it, it does weird things with like its auto-lock and targeting and whatnot. But um, it's, it's, it does play more as kind of a longer demo with with the game ultimately ending where it's like here's a big bad oh no it's not your time to fight this guy <laughs> and it's like you you will fight you'll face off each other many more times in the sequel <laughs> no it's like a uh, hang leaves you hanging yeah and uh but it it's 
it does have me excited for the the second uh second game which is uh zone of the ender second runner i believe um which i believe is a the term they use for their pilots uh and i've heard from a lot of people that that is kind of the superior game um and like the, the the story i think really takes off i think it's a longer game uh more more fully fleshed out this one did kind of have that feel of like kind of a tech demo like uh, a a proof of concept <laughs> but like w- cuz like to to lengthen the the game <laughs> there was a lot of like oh you're going across the space colony um very very gundam um and it's like okay you, you travel here to get that thing Okay, now that you have it, you can go back to this other place. Like you, you revisit locations like a good two to three times. No, it's the worst. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was. There was there are a couple moments I won't lie where it's like the game really doesn't hold your hand, <laughs> and it's like, oh man, where do we where do we see this thing? And it's like, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> No, no one remember. Like the characters seem to remember, but they don't want to tell you <laughs> or how to get it. Like so, um, so there was a little bit of that. Uh, so I, I am probably gonna uh, break out uh, the second runner at some point here uh, in the near future. Uh, my Xeno Gears playthrough is continuing. Um, I am. Uh, the chapter system in there is, is kind of weird. Um, but I think I'm at like chapter 34 or something out of 60. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm trying to think how many hours I put into that already. That one's definitely in the double digits. Um, I'm just trying to think if it's, if it's 20 or 30. Um, it's it's a bit of a longer game, but that said, the the chapters have really picked up their pace. Like you start going through them really quickly. Um, it's it's one of those things where like we were, I just passed a section where we are introduced to another character that's joining my team, and who has like a new mechanic way of fighting, and it's just like, this is different. Are we gonna keep getting introduced to more characters? to join our team or am I supposed to start really training up my core team? Um, it's been, it's been fun though. Like it's, it's, uh, I'm glad I, I picked it back up. Uh, it's, it's got that really fun retro blend of 2d and 3d. It's like 2d pixel art for the characters in a 3d environment. I thought you said 2d. Oh, <laughs> yeah, two dimensional. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of been the the uh, focus lately in in my my free time. Um, trying to think if there's much else on the mecha side. Um, no, nah, I think that that covers most of it. <laughs> haven't haven't really uh, been watching anything too much lately. Um, oh, apart from I I have introduced my wife. Uh, shouldn't say introduced uh but she had never she's seen a bunch of star wars now she's never been a huge star wars fan but she's never seen the original trilogy 
And so that's actually one thing, even just this weekend, where we were watching, um, we watched uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, um, following so, so the finale of she know, The Mandalorian. She know <laughs> oh yeah, she, she knew. She already knows about the, the, the father thing? The spoiler? Yeah. From, it's, it's, from it's been like 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't know still because they really are out of touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, it, it kind of was piggybacking on we'd been watching The Mandalorian. Um, and uh, I had been geeking out a little bit about the Clone Wars characters that had been showing up. And so we've been watching a bit of the Clone Wars as well. Um and so it's just kind and of like, going to have to go on the rebels and oh my god you're oh, you're un, you're yeah. uncooking. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to watch rebels. Is she watching Mandalorian? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They she so, yeah, uh, her so fam- you're watching them out of order. It's like <laughs> Wait, her whole family loves it, but she doesn't. Her whole family loves the Mandalorian. She likes Mandalorian. It's kind of Star Wars in general that she's she's not big on sci-fi. Well, that, and yeah, so that, that uh, helps. I have a lot of family just, members who are like that. Yeah, it's just one of those things is like, you know, doesn't hate it, but it's like just doesn't appeal. And uh and so that's that's been kind of fun to to go through. My wife my wife hates it, so you're one of <laughs> But uh but yeah, I think that that about covers it. Um Rob, we skipped over you, didn't we? No, you're just <laughs> saving the best for last. Is what happened. I guess so. <laughs> uh what what have you been up to? Um well, I will mention the Mecha Hack. The mission manual Kickstarter ended, and uh, they ended up with 967 backers and 31,000, almost 32,000 dollars. So that's pretty good oh, for them. Sounds... Good for them. Awesome. Yeah. So that that was great. So yeah, we're definitely getting into that. It's a really fun system. If you're not in, if you haven't got it yet, it's available on Drive Through uh, RPG. I RPG think. and yeah, uh, yeah Drive Through RPG, and I think it's on their website, isn't it? Yeah, probably. But it's, uh, you can get the original mecha hack for that, and then the mission manual is coming out soon. Cause I think he's all written, he just has to put it together. With all yeah. the new stuff he, he unlocked at the Kickstarter. So yeah, we're excited yeah, about that. Yeah, cause new mechs and new abilities too, right? New pilots, new mechs, new, uh, modules, which are the things you add onto mechs, like the weapon systems and other things. Uh, new playstyles, they have a, I think they said there's a solo one and there's a harder version, which is fun. So yeah, we're excited. I also want to give a shout out to Rick Hall because he started playing uh, BattleTech Alpha Strike, <laughs> and he's one of us now. Oh, Rick! It's great. Yeah, he he played with uh, our buddy Josh, who's a, a big Kings of War and BattleTech player. And there you go. So that's the, that's great. Those guys have been constantly trying to get me to play BattleTech with them, but they're always playing Kings of War. They're like, "We should play BattleTech." I'm like, "You guys are always playing Kings of War." <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you'll and, get to and, play and some then lockdown. Um, yeah, but uh, you guys should. Play a game of cab too, since you got all that stuff. I do, yeah. <laughs> we need to do that. You need but, more time uh, in life. Yes, that that's a big factor. Uh, but Alpha Strike, as I understand, it, it's kind of a, a quicker paced version yes. of BattleTech. Is that would that be accurate to say? Yeah, it's quicker and it's it's uh, it takes away a lot of the the complexity, but also a lot of the uh, what a lot of people like about BattleTech. Yeah, the minutia, yeah, the minutia that comes with the complexity. Yeah. Gotcha. So people use that to either play quick games or they use it to play large games. You get you can have like a bunch of lances gotcha. on the board at the same time. That's really yeah. cool. And that's and that's where I think Alpha Strike really shines when you have a bunch of lances because if you have really more than one lance in a game, 
You're oh, going to be there for game? days. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a... days. You might as well just. <laughs> well, that, that'd be good once you get your hobby space, so you could leave it up. Like you can leave it there. It's our. You, well, you, you know, take it down. You, you say that. So we, when I was still living in California, we used to go to a convention called OrcCon in L.A. And we would go, and one of the things was Clan versus Sphere. And this is again, which really reinforced my hatred for the clans. <laughs> and it would be like maybe 30 guys 15 on 15 yeah running stars and a lance and that get and that was a 4 day con and we would maybe get to turn 3 <laughs> by the fourth day yeah yeah it's it's, oh, it's playing so. regular battletech is not you can't play it like that it's it would just take too long no and then you know then you got fucking guys running around ah in shorts battle mechs with their shorts on cuz they don't have any heat <laughs> and Hawaiian shirts. Uh, yes, your your obsession with your hate for your uh, clan. I kind of want to see a, a a BattleTech mech in like painted like a Hawaiian shirt. I, I might cargo put, shorts. I might put. I might do that. I might put a clan <laughs> mech in a Hawaiian shirt, like Magnum PI, and shorts. <laughs> give him a mustache. Yeah, I was just gonna say if you do Magnum, you have to give him a mustache. <laughs> You have to do an atlas because they already got a face on there. You just do an atlas with. Oh, I might yeah. do that. Well, it's got to be clan mech. Oh, clan, yeah. Clan True. mechs don't look like humans usually, though, so it'd be kind of hard. That's right. I'll make a make one of those ones standing up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, Ultraman comic. We've been reading it, Pat. You forgot to mention that. It's finally getting oh. good. I think. Yeah, it is. Well, they I introduced mean, some really it cool takes, concepts. It always takes and... a little bit to Ultraman to get going, but. Have you read the latest issue? I did not read the latest one yet. The one oh, just there's sent. some cool stuff uh, in that one. Um, what else? Obsolete is back. The mech uh, show from Bandai. It's on YouTube. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, episode, I think episode seven is the newest one. Or not newest one. Oh. The next series is back. It goes up Damn, to episode 12, but some of those are premium. You have to wait, uh, I think it's two weeks or one week for it to become available. Uh, so it's cool. It's been good. It's more of a linear story now, not just uh, kind of getting into the world. It's actually got a storyline now, which is fun. That's cool. Uh, um, what else? Oh, no, the rest of my life has been taken up by Cyberpunk 2077. And uh, <laughs> I, I was nearly killed by police mechs, so it counts. Nice. Uh, so it counts. I haven't, I haven't got to the mechs yet. You're right there because you're right near you, – where you told me, that's where they are. Um, yeah, I played on PS4. Everybody's complaining. It works fine on my PS4. Like it is a the PS4 is a six year old machine. You're not expecting it to be high in graphics, but it's yeah, it, it works great and the story's great and I'm loving it. And I'm, can, I'm excited to try it out. Your alternative is to get it on the PC and it works great on the PC. I don't think my computer could run it, but I, I don't have a machine that could possibly run no. that game right now. Well, apart from the PS4, yeah, um, it's worth it. And it's. There's glitches, but it's not horrible glitches. It's sometimes thing you know textures don't show up or something. But it's I played much my, worse. <laughs> my favorite meme response had been uh, like, "You guys act like you've never played a Bethesda game at launch." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, remember, remember what uh, Fallout seventy six was at launch? Oh that was gosh. way worse, and that people weren't demanding oh, refunds and forcing Bethesda. them to take it off. The, uh... Yeah, I forgot how. Crappy those game launches where they just rush through to get them out. Oh yeah, well, and, that's and, all it is one of those things. Like I do feel a little bad for um, the, the game company behind Cyberpunk because it is 
it has been a pretty tumultuous uh, thing. At, at, as of this recording, uh, you know, the PlayStation has taken down the download. You can't even get yeah. the game digitally um, until whatever time uh, that they have to to get you know whatever patch is needed to fix it, like to PlayStation standards. Uh, it's it's a kind of unprecedented move, honestly, um, with a lot of the refunding going on as well. Yeah, it's so um, much complaining. Yeah. Like I can't believe it. Like you said, nobody nobody did this on this scale. I think it was so hyped that people, if it wasn't perfect, there was going to be backlash. And I think this is the backlash for it. But that's also, I, I'm sure it's the vocal minority. I think most people who've played it have been like, "Oh, this is fun. It's fine." Like. The story is great and it's immersive and it's I love it mm-hmm. and yeah there is some visual things that quick, just don't work. Get right. through it real quick and then get your refund. Yeah, that's right. No, <laughs> I, I'm excited for DLC. That. I'm waiting for the DLC and everything. I'm so excited for this game, but I'm, the hype I, is real I for have, me. So yeah, I have a lot of faith in in that game company. Um, <laughs> that game company is actually a game company name. Uh, so CD or CD project. CD project Red. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a lot of with faith a, in them. With a K. Uh, yes. Yes. The, uh, you know, they, they did a, a, a phenomenal job bringing the, the Witcher series to life, um, in, in video game form. Uh, and like, of, of like fancy, of fantasy games. If you haven't played The Witcher three yet, you are doing yourself a disservice. That is one of the best fantasy based games out there in general, in my opinion. Um, and and you know, with it, it was it was a lot of care, a lot of detail, and uh, I, I think Cyberpunk probably got a lot of that love. It sounds it sounds a lot like the push to get it launched. Is a lot of pressure on them. Yeah. Yeah. It was the police mechs. Yeah. (laughs) Those damn police mechs push them back. Because I know, I know like, uh, like overtime and, and, um, uh, what you call it, uh, like crunch is handled a lot differently in, um, in their company. Uh, and, and it's something the game industry, I think, is going to have to come to terms with in the near future about, you know, game companies that are in perpetual crunch where yeah. everyone's working 80 hours and sleeping in their office and stuff. It's the cycle. That's the problem. They they announce it so far ahead and they have to get mm-hmm. it done. And then they realize, oh, if they run into any issues, then all of a sudden it gets pushed back so far. It was, this was pushed back six months. I'm sure COVID didn't help it. Like that's, that's a yeah. whole situation. A lot of people working from home instead of in the office. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of deals where, because it was, you know, kind of supposed to launch with the PlayStation five. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but it, it, it is what it is. Um, it sounds like you guys have been really enjoying it. Uh, I haven't played it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. So our two cents, I, I think we could all agree is to, uh, give the game a chance. Yeah. Um, well, you can't now on PS4, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get a, get a physical copy. Uh, those still exist. Yeah. They're probably going to uh, be collector's items at this point. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it, it's, it, the the team behind that has got a lot of love. Um, they, they've they've shown that in the past, and so I think uh, you know it's just kind of my my opinion. But uh, I think if you stick with them and and kind of stay there and support them, uh, that 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 trust will be rewarded. Um, 
And, so. and they, uh, they, at first everybody was yelling at them because they weren't, they were putting all through their developers through this crunch and they weren't paying them extra and stuff. But then when the game released and it was sold like billions of dollars, they, they said they're all getting their, uh, bonuses and everything. So now mm. there's all these refunds. We'll see what happens, but, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I'm curious to see how many people are actually going to refund it. I'm sure there'll be a percentage, but I bet it's not a large percentage. I think most people will be like, I'm just going to play it and it'll get patched eventually if I, I really care that much. My second playthrough, I'm sure it'll be better than my first playthrough, but I don't care. You know, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's not unplayable. It's not, I've played games that are unplayable. Like I've got right. PC right. games that I've, <laughs> I've just not been able to play. This is not unplayable. It's just it, once in a blue moon, it's like a weird glitch. And, but I, I haven't I had made, any glitches that have made me not be able to progress. I, some people have, I guess, but I've never run into that. And yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty happy. I, I hang out in the indie game dev scene. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've played some really unplayable games. Yeah. I think it was just the hype. It's just once again, you, the hype mm-hmm. was so high. Like I think it won like game of the year before it was even out, which is like, you can't do that. And <laughs> these people are, uh, that. yeah, these people are, you can't. Put that much pressure on a, a, I'm sure it's not a huge company either. It's not, CG Pro, CD Project Red isn't Microsoft, you know, they're just a, No, no. I think they're I, Polish or Czech or something like that. They're, they're Polish, Polish, yeah. It's yeah. a Polish company. I'm trying to remember the head count on that. I think there's seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember if the, if it was in the hundreds. Yeah, I think it was like a couple hundred or something like that. I think but it's it just a couple seven hundred. And yeah. a French bulldog. <laughs> What's it doing in Poland? That's the question. <laughs> that's the that's the crazy question. Is that is that what Johnny Silverhand's really saying it about? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the black dog, but, it's a French bulldog. But we digress. We've we've got uh, a really awesome mech bay hanger ahead of us. Yes, we've talked too long. We've talked a, a long time, <laughs> uh, and there we're about to talk some more. Uh, yeah, so let's get, to our, let's get to him. Yeah. So we have a very special interview with Brent Evans, the senior art director at Catalyst Games. And uh, let's let's sit down and, and listen to that. Now entering the Mech Bay Hangar. All right, all right, all right. Today, guys, we have a special guest joining us on Mobile Arm Radio. Uh, it's not Rob. It's uh, Mr. Brent Evans, the senior art director for Catalyst Games. How you doing, Brent? I'm doing good. If it'll help, I can pretend to be Rob. <laughs> no, well, and I think we've got more here from you than Rob. <laughs> okay. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brent, Brent's got all the cool info. That's true. I, I know nothing. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I know more stuff. That's that is right. True. So at the senior as senior art director then at Catalyst Games, Brent, then you are kind of in charge of all the art for Shadowrun and Battletech and all that stuff. Yeah, all, all visuals for everything, including all of the international licenses. Um, it's it's a pretty awesome uh, amount of stuff I get to dangle my fingers in. But yeah, so if it if it if there's a picture of it uh, and it comes from from the games, uh, then that was me and my awesome. team. Yeah, you got to pick all the cool pictures of uh, that everybody uh, <laughs> gets submitted in there. Oh yeah, everything. In fact, one of the funnest things is that really it's less about picking the pictures. Most of my job is picking the artists and then developing yeah. the artists to bring everything to life. The pictures just kind of happen after the fact. And sometimes you have, you know, total home run. And sometimes you're like, wow, we struck out on that one. Nice. So, uh, I guess, uh, well, we can talk about, uh, how you, did you start in gaming? Did you, uh, 
I guess you have, have you been a gamer for most of this time or when did you start with Catalyst? Oh, man, it's, you know, it's a good question. Um, I'll, I'll sum it up into a little bitty thumbnail for you. Uh, I actually, I, I became a professional illustrator in the 80s back when I was a teenager, still in high school. Um, and I illustrated professionally by night through college. And then, uh, you know, after high school and college, uh, I was an executive uh, and continued to illustrate uh, on, you know, by night, you know, corporate by day, illustrator by night, had a lot of fun, drew comics through the nineties and stuff. I was always, always drawing, always freelancing and stuff. Um, so by the time I came about to Battletech, I was a freelancer for 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so yeah, one of those corporate jobs was, uh, working in wireless as the, the wireless phone industry was, was launching. And so I was working, uh, you know, swing shift overnight, total, total graveyard, ran out of a, you know, I finished my book at like two thirty in the morning. I'm like, okay, I'm bored out of my mind. Anybody got a book to read? And of course, one of my best friends, he's like, dude, I've got a book you got to read. And he hands me, um, blood legacy. Oh, nice. And, and I'd never really heard of battle. Uh, but this was, I think 96, 97, right in there. He hands me blood legacy. Uh, and, and I'm like, I'm like, this is awesome. The, tell me there's more of this. He's like, oh, yeah. There, <laughs> I, you know, little did I realize it was a really, really deep hole. Uh, and, yeah. and honestly, I loved it. I, I dove down the, the crazy rabbit hole so bad. It was, yeah, TROs became light bath and reading material. I, I blew through every single novel in the line. Nice. Um, yeah, all, just I'm like, oh, you mean this isn't the first book? So I started at book one and I read all the way through. And then I'm like, all right. Well, are, are there more novels coming out? And they weren't coming up fast enough, so I just started back again at one and kept reading. So, yeah, d- diehard Battletech fan. Um, the weird awesome. thing was is that I I never played the game. <laughs> so that's all right. Yeah, though. Sometimes that fiction is all you need to grab you. Exactly. I, I think the reason why people fall in love with Battletech so much it's the universe. It's not the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the universe is yeah, just so freaking cool. So I definitely have to agree with that because of the of the. I guess the story or fluff, as we say, for Battletech is deep and it's and it's good, you know, and it, that goes a long way. Yeah, it does. And and honestly, people say, you know, like, you know, why is it so good? And the honest truth is, it's built on the fall of the Roman Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Weissman crafted it on the fall, the failure of all the Roman states and all the com- political combat that happened between it. That's that was the structural background that 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 allowed Battletech. To be so rich, you know what an amazing universe to, to to find. So, anyway, so yeah, I started with novels, um, read a whole bunch of novels, started reading TROs and stuff. Uh, the first game I actually played was when Mech Warrior Three came out. Uh, I bought my first computer just so I could play Mech Warrior Three. <laughs> oh, I remember Mech so, Warrior Three. Yeah, so phenomenal game. Then of course, you know, Mech Commander One and Two came out, and played those over and over and over, and just just really loved the lore, loved that nuance. Um, still never played the miniatures game until the clicks game came around. Then I played the, the clicks game, um, you know, kind of got to know a lot of the folks that were you know, in the community, um, you know, all over the place, you know, met some, some just amazingly great folks. Um, had a lot of fun with that. Uh, 2000, let's see here. I don't even remember 2004. Uh, the clicks game, Jordan was having a hard time with several of the expansions. They were going slow. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know if you guys remember that, but, but hitting their schedule dates, they were beginning to, to whiz kids with missing dates left and right. Mm. Uh, 
so I reached out and said, you know what? I would love to drop a Battletech. If there are two, you know, like I, there were only three IPs at that time. You know, as an illustrator, I could pretty much pick and choose my jobs at that point. I'm like, there's really only three things I really care to work on. And that it was before even Halo. So it was Battletech, Shadowrun, and Star Wars in that order. Mm. Uh, and uh, I didn't want to move down to California to go work at Skywalker Ranch. But thankfully, Battletech and Shadowrun were both local. And those were my top two anyway. So um, I reached out. Turns out I had a friend of a friend that was over at WizKids and stuff. And so I got an interview. And um, long story short, they, they hired me very quickly. Um, threw me... Right into the crossfire. I'm like, oh. I'll never forget Jordan Weissman sitting down with me. It's like, all right, for your first assignment, here's what I want you to do. I want you to design the mech that Clan Wolf uses to replace the Mad Cat. <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, dude, the fans are going to hate me. Dude, that's just brutal. <laughs> yeah, replace the yeah, best yeah. mech ever. <laughs> yeah, replace the best mech ever, You know, arguably the best recognized mech in the world. Uh, yeah, just replace that. Like, oh man, this is brutal. Um, you know, but it, it was, it was awesome. It was a great experience. Um, that was where the, the werewolf came from. And then the wolfen, the black wolf battle armor, the carnivore assault tank. And, and it just, you know, like the, when you do good work on, on an IP that people are like, hey, that's really cool. That kind of adds some new flavor, but it's really true to the spirit of the, uh, of the universe. Um, it kind of snowballs. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, in in no time, Randall Bills had me working on uh, what became the re- the uh, um, uh, the technical readout thirty fifty upgrade. I did all the Interspear mechs on that one, and the, oh. never looked back. Uh, you know, I became one of the core illustrators for BattleTech, working alongside Matt Plog, David White, um, you know, Chris Lewis. Just, just great experience. You know, Franz and. Um, uh, just so many of the other amazing, you know, classic illustrators. I'll never forget working with Doug Chapey, just how cool that was. Uh, and then in uh, 2008, I went to Gen Con as just an illustrator. I wasn't a part of Catalyst, but I'm like, you know what? I, I really want to see what the scene is like. I've never been to Gen Con before. I'd never even really been to a game oh. convention. Did you, did, you get ever... a, did you get an artist alley table or something? Uh, no, they actually they had me sitting at a table in, uh, in the booth. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Because at that, I mean, Catalyst was, or uh, technically Catalyst, that was the end after the end of the Fan Pro era, beginning of the Catalyst era. Yes, so I, I, I think they remember. Their, yeah, I think they'd only been around for like eighteen months. Yeah, because then they, they they had just gotten the Shadowrun license back again or something like that. Was that how that worked again? Ultimately, am I, I think that the and I'm making that up. Both of the licenses. Um, you're not making it up. At that time, the information was just shoddy uh, of people understanding what was going on because of the just the, the fall of, of fan pro <laughs> uh but uh but yeah tops basically handed the licenses for both over to catalyst saying you were the right creative team uh you know for the property the reason why fan pro went down is because of mismanagement from management side so if we just give you guys the licenses can you build a company around these licenses and we're like yeah we'll dedicate the company to doing these that's not a problem yeah, so that's I what think it sort of worked out since then eh? <laughs> yeah yeah it worked out great for both of us no doubt but man it was an interesting time but uh but yeah so 2008 uh, i'm sitting on the bo- you know at the booth meeting all the people and and seeing the fans and getting a sense for like wow this is this, this is actually like people come from far and wide uh to be a part of BattleTech in so many different ways it was the first time i'd ever even seen the pods Mm. Um, oh yeah, the back oh, pods. Man. Yeah, 
Oh, so yeah, cool. So, so yeah, um, I actually fell in love with it. And then, uh, February of, uh, uh, of 2009, I get a call from, from, uh, from Catalyst. And they're like, yeah, we'd, we'd like to, to bring you in on an interview for the art director job for, for Catalyst. Now, just to paint the scene, many of you don't, most people don't like think of those dates and instantly equate them to what was going on in the economy. This was the worst point in the crash of the banking market. Oh yeah. The housing thing. Yeah. Housing. And and I'm like worst economy every single week. We were setting new records on the number of people that were going on unemployment because everybody was losing their jobs. Economy was tanking. And I get a call out of the blue for a job that was never posted to the public. That is my dream job. And the phrasing was, we want to bring you in for an interview. I was like, okay, well I can come in for an interview tomorrow. Or I can just show up and start working because you need me to, you need somebody to come in right now and get the stuff <laughs> underway. <laughs> and there was like 20 seconds of pause and he's like, you're hired. All right, come on. <laughs> and, and that was it. <laughs> Best interview ever, probably. <laughs> uh, it was. It totally was. You know, but I spent years working alongside them. So they knew exactly yeah. how they I knew what they were getting and, into. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They knew yeah. what they were getting. So. But it was just thought, the interview was probably a formal formality. Yeah, I think I think it actually was at that point. They decided that they they wanted me. I'd already made the impression of Gen Con the year before and stuff. So, so yeah. So uh, within six months, I had three hundred artists hired <laughs> working on the various games that Catalyst was running, and uh, uh, it's we were winning awards, and it's been a whirlwind ever since. But it's it's been really really cool. That was um, man. That was 11 years ago. Yeah, time flies, eh? <laughs> yeah, like, what a crazy period of time. So, yeah, awesome stuff, seeing just the evolution of of the industry as a whole. I mean, in that period of time, like, that was a period of time where the common way for people to buy books was to go to Borders Books or Barnes & Noble. When yeah. was the last time you stepped foot in a bookstore? Honestly, probably before the pandemic, because I actually like going to bookstores still, but I'm old. I'm, I'm from that generation of bookstores. Yeah. Now, do you go to like a book bookstore or do you go to a gaming store? I'll go to a book bookstore. Like I'll go to, there's a couple, I live in Chicago, so there's oh, a couple okay. actual books, real bookstores in the city. Nice. Uh, and there actually happens to be a bookstore I like to go to right next to a record store. So. Oh, that's and, awesome. And, yeah, I knock out uh, two, uh, two, two purchases or two trips with one, with one trip. <laughs> I will say awesome. I haven't been in a bookstore in about 20 years though. So <laughs> I think I'm more the, uh, <laughs> it's all, uh, online, uh, shopping or yeah, that's the way to go now. Yeah. It's just the whole industry itself has changed and evolved and stuff. So but anyway, that's, that's where all this stuff came about. And, and, and here I am. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And so, uh, then I guess well, now so clear along the way, I did learn to play the game. So, hey, hey, hey. I figured you did. just you for those hardcore fans who, uh, <laughs> I figured once you learn how to play the Quicks game, it was just a matter of the next step moving into the actual miniature game. Yeah, I had to convince my player group to switch game systems. Um, but once they I, stopped making the next, the, the Clicks minis, it became a much easier argument. I have uh, to ask, so yeah. again, I have to ask this question because I always do. And I think Rob knows what I'm going to say. And I kind of think I know what your answer is. Uh, are you Intersphere or Clan? You know, it, that is a great question. 
as a fan, I don't have a preference. Uh, I see that I, I love both. Uh, and, and some of my favorite, like, uh, I think the Majesty of Canopus is just such a cool. There you go. So you avoided it totally. You're not, you're, uh, you're periphery states. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, they love their Davians, they love their Karibas, and, and that's all good. Um, but, uh, in no uncertain terms, when Jordan Weissman hires you, brings you into his office and asks you to redesign Clan Wolf's signature totem mech, <laughs> everything else kind of pales. You're just going to have an affinity for that. So I, in no uncertain terms, uh, I am House Wolf or, or uh, Clan Wolf, uh, for the, the creative teams. Um, and it turns out they don't like the way that we negotiate things because they always disagree because they tend to be intersphere houses. But uh, <laughs> but I usually win anyway, and, uh, and that's the way it works. But uh, but yeah. Um, so uh, my favorite factions. It's funny because Randall Bills asked me this yesterday. I'm like, what do you need it? No. I don't even care. Here you go. But uh, yeah, honestly, I think that the um, the Ghost Bear Dominion is such a cool faction in the current uh, yeah. part of where we are in the timeline because they are a fused hybrid. That is working, uh, and and just think about how unusual that is. Uh, yeah, I think definitely. I think yeah. Um, I, I love that. Uh, at this point in time in the timeline where we are, you know, just knowing full well that in universe the various factions are moving in on Terra. We know that there's going to be a massive battle for Terra. No, oh, yeah, I, I think it is so I'm cool. Very excited. Oh yeah, definitely. But one of the coolest things for me. Is that it's not Krita, it's not Davian as the two, you know, the two debutantes that win the ball every year. No, House Lao is actually the strongest intersphere house, and they're the ones that are the biggest threat. Uh, and if you look at the military and how they overhauled themselves after the continued invasions of the Republic of the Sphere, you realize their tech is actually phenomenal. They're in yeah. the best position. They are the strongest um, nation. When it comes time for the battles for Terra, which is, I'm like, I can't think of a time in the history of the IP that, that you could say that. Well, that's the beauty of the uh, current uh, timeline. Before, when like the uh, Jihad happened in the Dark Ages, it kind of seemed like it just wanted to reset to the beginning with just some extra factions. But now it seems like they're actually progressing the storyline with it's actually changed a lot where before it was kind of yeah. like, Oh, everything's kind of reset. Now it's like, no, this is expanding. Everything's changed. Like it's totally different than from 3025 or 3050. It's like a totally new world we're, we're dealing with now, which is great. That's what you want out of a uh, long lasting, uh, uh, what it's been going. I don't know. The history goes back hundreds of years, but the actual play history has been at least like 150 years of game time, which is great. So it's, oh, it's yeah. beautiful that it's actually progressing the storyline instead of just resetting. Like they, they tended to do like fan pro or from, you know, they were just like, Oh, it's just, yeah, reset it, it. <laughs> it's definitely, um, uh, the amount of work that it takes to do that was, is truly impressive. Uh, I, in a lot of ways, I wish the fans could see some of those elements of behind the scenes of, of what it's like. Cause every member of the creative team are all diehard battle tech fans. It's not <laughs> like a bunch of arbitrary people that, you know, walked into a boardroom and argued about yeah. who's going to get what and stuff. That's not <laughs> the way it works. It's, um, you know, it's interesting in, in my time working on this, cause I've now been a part of, of the, the IP professionally 15 years. Um, and I've seen a lot of times where the decision to make a major move was arbitrary. It was, mm -hmm. we want to reset or, or we want to 
sell more figures or we want to see, you know, we, we want a new expansion on the, on the, on the clicks line or we, you know, we, all the nuances of we want to do something that's never been done before. Well, that's neat. But I think in, it's very, it's always hard to handle the nuances of, of a universe so complex. Uh, and for me, the biggest thing has always been you need to make sure that whatever you are doing is true and respectful for uh, the nations and the characters in universe and the fans out of universe so that the events that happen feel totally believable. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it has to be a, a real progression of would that faction have actually do that? Would, you know, would Maximilian allow really do that? Would, would this character, would, would Trillian Steiner really do that? Um, and the only way to really address those is through story. That's fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, the beauty of this it, game is it's driven by fiction. Like that. It's not just, yep. Hey, we put out this supplement. It's no, it's you put out books like constantly or sh- novellas or short stories. Like it's yep. and even a magazine you put out all the time and it's yep. always progressing everything. It's amazing. Like that's the beauty of it. I think. Yeah. It's been really interesting because in the last, uh, Gosh, it's what four years now? Uh, four years, four years ago now. Um, I stepped in as the line developer. I took over the line for BattleTech uh, because I pitched hard to Lauren Coleman, and he decided to let me prove it uh, that BattleTech could be a real, a real monster property once again. Because four years ago, it, it was not, not even close. No. Um, uh, yeah, it, and part of that was that the the model had gotten away from using fiction and novels to drive. The, the narrative uh, because ultimately so many bookstores had closed the novel or uh, the novel publishing industry had changed so significantly that it was a real headache um, getting getting fiction out to fans um, was not an easy thing in any way shape or form so uh, when I took over the line one of the very first things I pledged was like we will once again use fiction we will build fiction out of the ashes and use fiction to drive the narrative. That is what's going to do it. And the second thing is, and then we're going to drive it right through the events of Bill Clan and beyond. Because the truly great stories are what happens after. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you just think about it. Like, wrap your head around this. It, it, there was a joke. When I, when I took over the reins, one of the first things I did was I grabbed all of my lead authors, and I'm not joking, I locked them in a room at Gen Con. <laughs> uh, I arranged for the for uh, Aaron Witten, CFO of, of Catalyst. I'm like, can I borrow your suite? <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I brought all of them in there, and I locked the door, and I said, none of you are getting out until you plan out the next three years. <laughs> and they thought I was joking, and then they realized I wasn't because I didn't bring food. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, you know, story became became the point, and the truth is. You know, it goes right back to playing to the strength of people fall in love with Battletech because they love the universe. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to do it. That's what's going to drive it. So, yeah, being true to the characters involved, because there's a lot of plot points. I actually brought out, uh, I believe it was seven and a half pages of plot lines that had been left dangling or had been grossly mishandled. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. And, and when I say that, I'm, I'm not actually poking fingers at any individual person. When, when whiz kids, Rumble basically and the Met Clicks lines faltered. There were so many things that they had in the works that were just left hanging. 
Yeah, it's not. They were never able to get resolution. And of course, because of the time leap of the Clicks game, Battletech, or Catalyst and Battletech, like all of those years in the meantime, they were just catching up to where the Clicks game had left off. They were filling in the time jump lap. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was really like, okay, I realize all these storylines are old. People haven't thought about them in, you know, eight years, but we actually need to make sure that we deliver to the fans resolutions to all these stories that make them not only feel a sense of uh, organic closure, but also excited to see what happens next. Because none of those things, you don't wrap everything up and tie up all your loose ends and boop, it's done. Now there's peace in the inner sphere. That's not <laughs> the way that works. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And here I am, the art guy, telling you about the fact that it's actually a story that drives everything. Oh, I'm telling you. Well, I, I don't... I, I think the art, though, also drives it because you see epic pictures. You can't help but oh, yeah. if you're a mech fan. You see, especially now, I think the covers now of all the books are, they're like the old covers, but actually done well, like with, with beautiful <laughs> art, color and beautiful rendering. I guess we'll call it updated art. I mean, because, you know, 80s yeah. art is oh, yeah. 2000 well, it's just the way it's done now. Like, it's just, uh, it's almost painterly. Like, before it was kind of like illustrated. Now it's, it's, the the all the books now are such beautiful books like it's it's art you want on the wall in which the Kickstarter provided a lot of those as posters which is great like it's it's yeah how cool artwork, was that man. yeah what a cool opportunity to to just really bring everything back to life yeah Real, just so a infusion of awesome so I guess let's let's move into the Kickstarter how's that going oh amazing totally amazing in fact it's funny now because we. <laughs> There, there is a percentage of gaming fans in general which will always co- complain. No matter what, yeah. no matter what you do, they're <laughs> going to complain, bar none. And, and that's oh, yeah. normal. Yeah. It, the thing is, is uh, as a, like when you're behind the scenes on the creative team, you're actually always watching to see what they complain about. Yeah. If all of a sudden you, know you hear I mean? the same complaint over and over again, you know it's not just fake. It's some real problem, right? Um. That's part of it, but that's actually usually not it. It's that they're going to play no matter what. But if, if like if that's the biggest complaint that you've got, we're doing good. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if if they have a point, like ah, oh, damn, yeah, we screwed up on that. We need to you know come up with a fix. You know, the dice come out, and it turns out that all the molds were were bent and squished. We're like ah, yeah, there's no coming. We got to have the whole thing redone. No, we'll find a solution moving forward because that was not the way it was supposed to go. But it's interesting because there's always going to be the complaints. Um. And I think part of that is just because of the personality of online social media stuff. Discussions, it it just happens. Um, And most of that is actually not malicious. It's just communication. Uh, But but yeah, sometimes you're like, oh man, uh, you you really have to say like, big grain of salt. Did we we choke on that one? Or or, or is it okay? Yeah, no, the Kickstarter has been going fantastic. Uh, One of the coolest things, you guys mentioned the art. Um, most people will not realize that this factors into it, but have you noticed how fast the art is coming out now? Yeah, it's it's uh, it seems like all the updates. It's always some new piece or new new render or new piece of uh, artwork for a cover. Or yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So one of the things that's happened is because we now have 3D models, it has just added like jet fuel on a campfire. Uh, with with the artist's ability to crank work out, because yeah, they can you, yeah pose it almost right. 
Yeah, it, you are skipping more than half of the usual creative time that you are spent pouring into measuring stuff for Battletech to, yeah. to lay in all the scenes and get all the details right and all the proportions and everything else. Especially if you've got a battle scene like uh, Spooky last year, uh, Florian Melles put out a cover that had uh, all of the mechs in the beginner box and uh, Game of Armor Combat in one battle. <laughs> I think he did it lock, stock, and barrel in like three weeks. Oh. And it yeah. came out phenomenal. It came out exact. It made sure that the, the image came out going, these look exactly like the miniatures in my box. And, and that's a level of speed and accuracy that was simply never possible before. Uh, one of the other things that it really allows is that because we're starting with 3D models and all the measuring stuff is pre-done, it means I can bring in artists that are new to Battletech that don't have the depth of knowledge that it takes, like Anthony or Alex or Marco or or, or Spooky. Uh, I can bring in folks that have never worked on Battletech, and they're able to work side by side with these guys and deliver images that are like you. You wouldn't realize that this is the first part time this person has ever illustrated Battletech. Yeah, because it's almost the like they're using life models at that point, right? <laughs> exactly. It is. Fun. It is so cool. So in the last. Six months, I have doubled the size of the Battletech art team. That's cool. We've never seen oh, that's that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really cool. So, a lot I, of I fun stuff. But, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I love the fact that you're also doing a lot of tributes to the old pictures, like doing different angles of the same battle, or like especially yep. the, the Tukid uh, cover. Like, that's so cool that it's just the opposite shot of the other old one. and. Yeah, that was so amazing. And I, I I totally give credit to the development team. Randall and Ray came up with the idea of what if we, you know, because we didn't have the, I think it was the thug, we didn't have the thug model yet. They're like, you know what, why don't we just take the scene and rotate the camera around so we're looking at it from a different part that doesn't have the thug in it. And, <laughs> and Mark, oh, oh yeah, I'm like, okay, that's a cool idea, but you never <laughs> can tell what, like you're going to pass it off to, a, to, a, to an artist and you're like, okay, you got four weeks what do you think of this idea? And of course, Marco Mazzoni is just, he is such a beast. He, this guy loves Battletech to a degree that I think if the fans were like, just to spend some time in the same room with him, they'd be like, holy crap. He's like the Jedi master of, of Battletech. This dude <laughs> eats, sleeps and breathes Battletech. And he cranked out that image. I could not believe what he was able to put together with that. Uh, I mean, even the little stuff like, the elemental climbing up the Black yeah, Knight's leg. I love that. Yeah, I was just looking at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, it's so cool. So so cool. And then we got the uh, the Legends book too, which is just beautiful. Like what you've previewed for that too, with the uh, actual pictures of the the famous people, and you read the oh, books yeah. about them, and you finally see which. Oh, this is what they 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 look like, and it's oh yeah, that's you kind of put faces to the people now, and it's I love it. Yep. And yeah, the next there's too, a funny know. thing about. It. Legend was so unique. Uh, I, most people don't know this. Yet. Uh, I'm going to show you a little bit behind the curtain. Without a doubt, the hardest thing to illustrate in the Battletech universe is legendary characters. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I say that, it's it's hard to quite grasp. Even Lauren Coleman doesn't understand. He he believes us when we tell him, but he doesn't get it. <laughs> I I can get nine mechs battling uh, like nine battle scenes of mechs and elementals and vehicles in the amount of time that it takes i can get that that assigned the art done and i can get it in in the time it will take me to do the research to write the art notes mm -hmm. for nine 
Battletech characters. Characters take so much time because you are just mining the details of what Pratt piece of art was done in markers in 1986 and you know what was actually mentioned because a lot of times especially back in the early days the images and the descriptions did not match yeah, in any way right. shape or form <laughs> that's the problem uh, yeah <laughs> yeah so i'm like so many things uh, i mean even even major things like uh, prior to me becoming the art director the canopians were never shown uh, as anything other than white people yeah uh, <laughs> except that they're all black yeah, they're all they're all of African descent. They all have dark skin and and all should have black features and and, and curly hair and stuff. And and I don't mean that as a cultural thing. I mean like genetic legacy for like where they came from. That's that's where they came. And and like depicting the universe correctly means let's be honest. Let's show the people as they were. Uh, so it was interesting when Hairbrain Schemes came out with uh, their Battle Pet game. Uh, they actually got a whole bunch of flack online for not having any white characters. Uh, huh. As if that was an arbitrary thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. it, it wasn't in that air, that part of space. Jordan had all the homework done. There, yeah. That was not colonized by Caucasian people. That was colonized by people of these various dark skinned nations. Um, so I actually was impressed that they used they were true to their reference. I'm like, actually proud actually of myself that I never even noticed. So that's, that's yeah. A good <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing too. <laughs> yeah. For what it's worth, I didn't either. It wasn't until they said that, and I went like, "Really?" And, I, and I'm going back all the way to like the initial concept sketches and stuff. Like, what was in there? Oh yeah, look <laughs> at that. So yeah, and I love that. That's one of those things where the the universe itself is so rich that it's accessible to everyone. Yeah, uh, there's a place for everybody. There's storylines for everybody. There's heroes. There's villains for everybody. Uh, I love that stuff. But uh, but yeah, so legends, the upcoming legends book. Wait till you guys get that thing in your hands. We have never produced a book like that. Yeah, I think I'm most um, excited about that book, actually. It's, out of all the things coming, all the beautiful miniatures and everything, that book has me most excited. I love the, the idea of it and just what the oh, previews yeah. just showed so far. I'm so excited to read it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I'm excited for you to guys read it. I'm excited for you guys to see the art. The body of work on that, like in a normal Battletech book, you'll have somewhere between 25 and 35 illustrations. That's, that's a month and a half solid work. Legends alone, which, by the way, happened on top of all the other stuff we were sending to print for Wave 2. Legends had 113 illustrations. Wow. It was five times the size of a normal Battletech product in terms of our generation. So it was a beast. Uh, the art core pulled out all the stops. I couldn't believe. Uh, and on top of all of it, it we had one artist within a five-day period of time. He actually was the one artist that got all of his illustrations done early. His computer crashed. Oh, no. He lost every, oh. every illustration. And oh, his mom died of COVID. Oh, Jesus. And I'm like, dude, what do you need? You know, like, whole, you know, at that point, like, Screw deadlines. What do you need as a human being? He's like, I really just need to bury myself in work so I'm not paying attention to everything else that's going on. So my new hard drive comes in two days. Can I can I try to hit my deadline? I'm like, dude, you can keep every illustration you want. You just let me know any step along. But, but yeah, he worked like a dog around the clock for I think it was uh, 11 days straight to crank out all the illustrations. And he hit oh, it. Man. Yeah, I mean, just a total trooper. 
And once again, it just shows the dedication and the love that people have for this universe, even if it's to uh, distract yourself from something else. But uh, but yeah, it was just his his work is phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's just been so exciting with the the things that have been happening um, on the art side of the house and all the visuals and things of of what uh, the evolutions from the Kickstarter is giving us essentially. 92 3d models the amount of things we that you know the creative team can do with 92 functional 3d models is going to uh, we're going to be laying the groundwork and doing a decades more work of battletech out of this stuff it's, yeah it's that's huge. a lot of mechs yeah huge huge library of mechs uh, so uh then since we're talking 3d models let's uh let's kind of segue into uh the plastic model line that i'm, I'm hearing a little no, bit about Absolutely. Yeah, this is something that was really cool. Uh, most people don't know this, but Blaine and I had actually started the company prior to me stepping in as the line developer of Battletech. Uh, we had planned to launch a brand new IP um, several years ago, so now that has been pushed. It will be happening in uh, 2001. Uh, we will be launching an entirely new IP that has nothing to do with Battletech or Shadowrun or anything else. Uh, lock, stock, and barrel. Blaine and I came together. Blaine, I think Blaine's been working as a professional in the industry for over 30 years. He was one of the uh-huh. very first writers for Battletech. Uh, mm-hmm. And as a game designer, he has worked on so many properties, it's ridiculous. Uh, and so, you know, he and I put our brains together and stuff and, and really came like, if, if, if there was going to be another game we would work on in addition to Battletech, and we could make it anything we wanted what would the universe be? Uh, and and we ran amok. Uh, I, I had actually had it kind of planned out in my head, and he pitched me three of his ideas. I pitched him one of mine, and he threw his three away. I'm like, dude, we're doing yours because it's the freaking greatest. <laughs> so it's going to be awesome. I can't wait for you guys to see it. We are going to launch it with a trilogy of novels, nice. and after the third novel is when we will announce the launch of the game. Oh. So the, the novels were actually done when the opportunity came for me to take over Battletech. So we shelved this project for years. Uh, And then, you know, once, once the Kickstarter happened and it wrapped up, I'm like, all right, it's time for me to hand off Shadowrun to, you know, Shadowrun art direction to a dedicated art director and for me to step away a bit and, and let's, let's really launch this thing and and go full on. So many of you guys know that about a year ago, Blaine Pardo retired from the day job in corporate. Uh, and he retired so that he could focus on nothing but this new property launch that we're doing. Cool. Uh, so, so Blaine and I are, are full steam cranking away on this thing. Um, and, uh, one of the things we always knew we wanted to do is that we wanted it to have, uh, uh, we wanted to, to once it, it just like Battletech, that it is a universe that is dri- the storyline is driven by fiction. Uh, but, in terms of gameplay, we wanted there to be a tactical game, and we wanted there to be a roleplay game. And we wanted the mechanics from the two to blend so smoothly that people can can fluidly move from one to the other. You do not normally get that. Usually in gaming demographics, tactical players are not the same group of players that play roleplay games. It's usually two different demographics. Yeah, definitely. Uh, our goal here is that we're not going to change that. Most gamers are still going to stick to the thing that they love, and that's more power to them. No problem. But 
if the mechanics are so fluid that they mirror each other between the two systems, that removes having to learn a new rule set and allows people to bounce between them much more easily. Um, so this is all really exciting stuff. You guys will start to see um, uh, in the first half of 2021, uh, you will see the launch of the first novel. Cool. Uh, this will happen. Uh, but with that is that we knew we wanted there to be miniatures component to the tactical skirmish game. And we knew we wanted to, to uh, produce them in the United States. There really is no company that produces plastics in the United States for other companies. There are companies mm-hmm. that do it for themselves. Um, but And it's a very small, I think there are three. Uh, but nobody does it for other companies. Believe me, Catalyst has tried. We tried to hire everybody, but ultimately, <laughs> you know, yeah, Catalyst had to go to China for plastic miniatures production for, for Battletech because there were no options in the United States. It, just, it doesn't exist. That entire industry died. Uh, so we knew we were going to be building from scratch. We were going to be, you know, like going all the way. Let's, let's start from the beginning. And, and at that point, you're like, you just know you're running through a minefield. We're going to hit the mines. We, we're going to, you know, eat shit. we're going to take it right to the face a few times. Some stuff is going to happen, but we're, we're going to figure this out because we want to do this. Cause having a plastics company, not only that can do our own, but that can also work with other game companies within the United States market to help produce and launch IPs. That's something that does not exist, and yeah. it should. Yeah, especially so, since so, it's over-reliance on the Chinese market when delays happen constantly, and it's you never know what's happening. Like, it's it's great yeah. to be able to have a little bit more control over that, and it sounds, yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah, and, and it's not even just a little bit more control. Most people don't quite realize just how abusive the Chinese yeah. companies are to non-Chinese companies. It's, yeah. It is, oh, a, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have seen so I, uh, go fair inkling. yeah so it's tough yeah it's, from it's, other kickstarters you just different. see it yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. Definitely. so, so do we, we, uh, I knew we were gonna do it yeah Andrew, do we oh go ahead uh i mean just uh you were talking about plastic battletech practices would we see will we be seeing more plastic battletech models then uh i personally hope so um so the interesting thing here is, that, you know, Blaine and I, we're great at art. We're great at fiction. Um, plastics is totally new. Uh, but uh, between the two of us together, we couldn't have pulled off plastics productions in any way, shape, or form by ourselves. And that's where Kevin Hughes comes in. Uh, you guys remember when I when uh, when I organized the, the the launch for the Game of Armor Combat, the new Game of Armor Combat and the Beginner Box stuff? Mm-hmm. We had at Gen Con, uh, and then the following conventions, we had an eight foot tall awesome statue. You you guys remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that one. Uh, Oh yeah. So that was actually created by one of our demo agents in his garage. Oh geez. One of the, uh, oh yeah. And you're like, okay, well that's, that's impressive. But most people don't quite grasp just how impressive an endeavor this was. This is somebody who has worked on Mars Landers. Nice. He oh, has a CNC machine in his garage. That's how he did it in his garage. This thing was a monster. Just the raw materials were fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, like, when you he, he, uh, Kevin is a total mechanical genius. I mean, I mean, full on. You talk to him, you're like, 
damn, I'm suddenly a stupid person. Okay. You, <laughs> you clearly know way more about it. He'll start talking about the mathematical equations for stuff. And you're like, okay, y- y- you have me and I can make it out of foam. You know, I don't, I don't need to know the math. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Kevin, uh, you know, Elaine and I invited Kevin to join our, our team full on as a founder, join the company. We'll put this thing together. Uh, and, and Kevin, we basically locked him in, in his garage for 10 months and said, Go through every single material for both mold making and casting that exists. Let's find the ones that work best for the, for what we're trying to do. And we we what what continued from there was ten months of the most spectacular trial and error that you would ever think of as a gamer making miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> we have failed in so many ways that like. It, it, it is unbelievable, but uh, but we learned a huge amount of things coming out of that. Uh, we right now have uh, both Kevin's garage and my garage now uh, full functioning shops uh, where we are producing molds. We're actually producing casts, generating uh, production, uh, trying to identify how fast can we do, what the temperature variations and how that impacts things as the seasons changes. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So we actually had used two of the Battletech models. 3D models from from the box set stuff fr- from the Kickstarter. Uh, one was the Marauder two, and one was the uh, the Crusader. Uh, and we use those just because we like randomly pick two. We're like, okay, let's try the Crusader and make it as simple, as few apart pieces as you can. Let's try the simplest extreme end of one side of how you make molds and cast. And let's take the Marauder two and go as complex as we possibly can, and we'll test the other end. Uh, and it was. Amazing, um, painful, time-consuming, costly, and yet incredibly cool. And I think every gamer would totally rip their sleeves and like, oh yeah, money well spent, totally cool. So yeah, we ended up doing both, getting both, coming up with ones with the processes that we liked, things we knew, materials we knew we could use, things we knew we could get, um, things that didn't need to be shipped from Romania or Czechoslovakia. You know, like identifying <laughs> all the little nuances of like, okay, here's here's what we know we can do. Uh, and once I had those, um, I actually sent a couple of copies. Uh, I showed Randall Bills, and then I sent a couple of copies to uh, to to Ray Rastia, uh, just to kind of see, hey guys, here's what we're producing now. Take a look at the quality, see what you think. Uh, I have never gotten a call from Ray Rastia so fast in all of the time we've worked together. <laughs> um, for, for those of you out in the fandom that don't know, Ray Rastia is is the current line developer for BattleTech. Uh, when he got them, he was so floored. He's like, dude, the quality so far exceeds what we were expecting. Uh, and so knowing that we could actually, pr- we can literally deliver as good or better quality as what's in the Catalyst box sets. That is a benchmark that was, it, it, it's, it's really cool because Catalyst has never been able to pull it off. Not domestically. Okay. Um, so knowing that we could do it was step one. And then the Ray came up with the idea of like, yeah, what if we did some variants from the Tutea products so that we actually have a couple? So like, all right, let's just do a little limited run. We'll deliver it to Catalyst. Catalyst can put it up for sale in their web shop. Little limited run of mechs that are only, you know, like that, that support the Tutea releases. Uh, and, um, you know, let's make them kind of cool things that aren't, aren't available in the box sets or anything. This is a specialty item. Um, let's put them out to the fans. And in truth, uh, at, at first the, uh, the order from Catalyst was, you know, assemble them all, put them all in a box. Uh, and that was the plan. And then we realized, well, if we really want to make them cool, why don't we offer them unassembled? Yeah. But with the variant bits and let the players choose how they want to put them together. Uh, the feedback from that was instantaneous. Like, 
oh hell yeah that do that we want that we want to make our you know like the battletech fans we've got 36 years of knowing how to put minis together um so you know everybody can glue stuff they know how to put stuff together they get it um so yeah so, so we started doing the variant bits it, one of the we knew we could produce them that wasn't the problem uh one of the problem is that the models for battletech uh that were done for the 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 clan kickstarter those are great um those are really really great for illustrating from but they were in no way, shape, or form meant, or form meant to be cut up into pieces that would then be cast as individual components. Mm-hmm. They aren't meant to be parted. We are having to rebuild the 3D models on every one that we end up doing and then putting in all the parts. So it's more than just parting the models that you have. You almost have to take those in and start from scratch, remodel everything, and then do it. So it, it, it's it's been an interesting learning curve because we didn't realize that that would be the case. We We thought there would be because there are uh, software programs out there that convert files. And we thought that that would work uh, at, at a quality level that would be adequate. And it turns out that stuff does work, but it it's requiring the computer program to make decisions, creative decisions on what stuff should look like. It ends up filling in a lot of spaces that you need not to get filled. So uh, it turns out like that's the only reason why you don't actually you're not even you two aren't literally holding miniatures in your hand right now is it's just like, OK, that process is taking longer than we expected. We have to rebuild that and stuff. But but that's all going. So you'll see the the, uh, the two kids the miniatures going out uh, here should be Q1 through Catalyst. Um, no problem. Uh, and honestly, I think you guys are really going to like what you get. I don't think you're going to nobody's just so we're clear. Do not expect Games Workshop level quality miniatures to come out of this box you you, you don't actually want that no. uh because that would no because then that box set looks expensive too yeah so and they break the like, moment you look at them <laughs> <laughs> yeah but oh man they're so beautiful games workshop puts out amazingly gorgeous miniatures but let's be let's be really candid that's the fastest way to multiply the cost of miniatures by five. Oh, 100 percent yeah, people think, oh yeah, maybe a buck or two more. No, 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 no. Like that, that process is so much more expensive. It's a magnitude bigger. So, um, I think what you're going to find is that these products are, these miniatures are going to come out. They're going to be cool. They're going to be specialty. Um, I actually expect that they will cost more than Ironwood Metals, uh, miniatures, but ultimately that's catalyst call on what they price them at. That, that's their job at this point. Just like if, uh, like if you were a t-shirt company producing, uh, t-shirts for a catalyst order. That's functionally what we are. So Catalyst is making the decisions on, on how they're doing stuff. Uh, we can make recommendations, but they, Catalyst will do what they want. Uh, but yeah, so, so Blaine and I, we're, we're working on this and hopefully the, the 2K releases will prove the concept. Uh, and that this will be something that we're able to continue to support and do as, as, uh, the Battletech line continues to launch on new products, new events, new things in universe so that, uh, you know, regularly over the coming years, you'll be able to have things that come out because if this works as we expect it, we should be able to go from uh, raw models to having the miniatures delivered and ready to be shipped in a month. Nice. So if you good. can pull, yeah, if we can pull that off, that means that every time there's a really cool, hot, big new release for Battletech, there can be a miniature or two available for fans on the specialty market for variants that are unique that have never been seen anywhere else. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really cool concept. Ultimately, uh, it's, 
not going to be a huge moneymaker for Blaine and I's new company. The company's called Creative Juggernaut. Uh, and uh, it's not going to be a huge moneymaker for us, but it's a great way for us to pressure test the systems as we try new things. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and it doesn't hurt. We love Battletech. We love being able to be a part and be supported. Uh, and the, the, the awareness from the Battletech fans uh, on what we're doing with miniatures, certainly not going to hurt. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, they'll follow you to your new uh, venture, too. So, I really hope so. And it's, I hope that they follow us because they see what we're doing and they think it looks so cool. They're like, yeah, i got to yeah. check that out. That looks cool. Exactly. Um, Plus, yeah. all this can is you, a custom. Can you, say, can you say if it will have mechs? <laughs> I, can I say if it will have mechs? That's a good question. Nobody's asked me that yet. <laughs> I can say that it will have mecha. Oh, well, that? that's perfect. Ah, <laughs> even better. Because yes. then we would, uh, <laughs> we'd love we'll to be talking to you again. You, when, when, you're, <laughs> when you're ready to make this announcement, we would love to have you on again. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And when we make the announcement, we'll be announcing it as the, like launching the first Kickstarter for the first novel. Uh, and it's going to be a, an escalating series of, of little Kickstarters. Uh, yes. I don't know if you guys noticed a, a few months back, Blaine and I, uh, um, put a, uh, put out a, a drinking game. We turned the, uh, the presidential debates. <laughs> into a drinking game uh, and we ran that through a kickstarter and one of the coolest things that we did is that we're like okay we think we can get a, we can run a kickstarter and deliver to the fans in under 45 days that's that's amazing turnaround yeah that's a good one yep and we did it it was a little kickstarter don't get me wrong it's a little kickstarter but we like the big part of that is you just you you solidify all your files you get everything finished and you get all your agreements in order in, in advance and so we did everything to drive through cards uh, you know, talking to the team over there, had everything set up, ready to go before we launched. So everything was done when we launched the Kickstarter, and then it just became, all right, how many do we produce, and where do they go? Yeah, and you don't t- uh, you don't bite take off more than you can chew. Like you're you just do exactly. that little pinpoint thing you're doing. Don't go crazy. Just do what you want, and then get it out there and keep doing them. That's that's I think that's the something that people aren't doing on Kickstarter as much. They just do these giant ones. But I, I like the idea of just small ones over multiples over a year. Like, just keep putting them out. Like, it's a great yeah, platform I think for that. A, uh, I think you're totally right. Uh, one of the biggest strengths that Kickstarter has is uh, uh, the ability to generate a mailing list. Mm-hmm. Like, like, if you really think about it, it's really hard in gaming because there's nowhere to buy ad space. Yeah. Gamers don't all go to one place. It's not like you can like, oh, all the gamers are watching this TV show. We can just buy a commercial on that. Or all the gamers are reading this one gaming magazine. We can just buy ad space on that. That's not the way it works. No, you it's, gotta it's find fragmented, the yeah, for are. sure. Yeah. So, so the ability of Kickstarter to actually give yourself a, a, uh, a mailing list, build yourself a fan base that actually watches for this stuff that you can reach out and send them information. That's huge. Uh, so don't get me wrong. I don't think anybody that looks at the Battletech Kickstarter can say, oh yeah, the, uh, big giant Kickstarter is a bad thing. Cause it's not. Well, yeah, that, was cow, a, that was an already right. existing IP though. Like you knew it was going to be exactly. huge no matter what. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, I think if any new, new IP from anybody comes out and tries to do the same thing and yeah. promises the moon like Kickstarter, like uh, Battletech did, I mean, holy cow, just the amount of things, posters, retailers, supports. Oh. Uh, you know, novels, fiction, ma- the brand new magazine launch, all the, the t-shirts and the pins and the patches and all that other stuff. If a new company trying to launch a new IP did that, holy crow, they would fall on their oh, face. It's destined like, to oh, fail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Totally. So, so being humble, starting small and recognizing we're starting small. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to have to earn it every step of the way. 
but we can do that. You know, we can do that by, you know, we launch a Kickstarter, we deliver in 45 days, we launch the next one. Yeah, especially you if know, you prove you that concept, that. it's, it's, people will be like, oh, I don't have to wait three years to get my stuff. Like that's, that's. Exactly. Exactly. If people, you know, and that's one of the big things with, uh, with, with Blaine and I, we have literally designed our entire product launches around making sure that what we offer on a Kickstarter is totally reasonable and done in advance and ready to pull the trigger the moment the Kickstarter it goes live. Uh, it, it, so that we know, boom, you know, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days, depending on what the production time is for the items involved. Uh, you deliver that and you deliver that. I mean, honestly, think of, is there any company that you can think of where you have backed them for four or more Kickstarters and they've delivered in under 90 days? All Yeah, yeah none. <laughs> yeah, none. And if that happened and they came out with something cool and big, yeah. how would you feel trust-wise about being able to back them and think they're going to be able to pull it off? Mm-hmm. That's it, yeah. It's just so. it, it's proving you could do it. It, it, it automatically builds more confidence as every time you do it and you're just going to build from there. It's a, it's a great idea. I think it's going to be yeah. something yeah. cool to it's, check out. I, I hope so. I hope you guys love it. By all means, continue to keep an eye on it. And Blaine and I will be happy to bounce around through all the podcasts and stuff and make ourselves available. Cause when this stuff happens, we are so excited about this new IP because there are so many cool storyline parts about it. It will be accessible to everyone in every nation around the world. We'll be able to like, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. The hook is awesome. I, I want in. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, it'll so be really cool. Are you going to do uh, multiple languages then for it? Not at first, but over time, we are absolutely talking about that. Yeah, that's 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 uh, cool. Yeah, honestly, I would love to do multiple languages right off the bat. Yeah, you don't know but what the, the truth is, target is. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to know what the target is, and um, like. Here's an example about foreign licensing because, uh, you know, like Catalyst, I think we have, I think we do either Battletech or Shadowrun in nine different foreign languages, uh, which is a lot. Foreign licensing is a big deal and there's a whole lot of legality to it, which makes it really complicated. Um, but, uh, the thing is, is we never go out to those con- countries to try to find somebody. We wait till somebody's excited enough to do it from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's the difference between standing on a street street and trying to fly people down to convince them to buy something and, or having people excited and passionate about something like, oh, man, we want to do that. All right, we'll support you with everything that you need. You know, it's just it's night and day from the fan base's ex- experience because ultimately when it comes down to, you know, the demo agents and the players in local stores, that experience has to be done by people that ultimately are, uh, are big fans and, and are uh, uh, passionate about delivering a quality gaming experience um, and and local a, to that area to know what they want. Like. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that's the trick. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. I think you've got a lot of experience uh, working through catalyst already. So you'll, you're already you've seen a lot of that from that end. So exactly. it's not like you're yeah, coming yeah. into it blind. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, you're right. Yeah. In fact, it's funny because uh, when I had the idea for ultimately how I structured the company, uh, there were several people I sat down with, including Jordan Weissman, and I said, "All right, you know, one of the key things when a, business owners in gaming are a very savvy, um, interesting lot, uh, and one of the things because it really is it's like a small town where everybody kind of knows each other, mm-hmm. um, and one of the biggest rules is learning from each other's mistakes because there is nothing better for any one company than for all the companies to succeed." 
in, in a lot of ways, gaming, uh, we don't actually compete with each other uh, because the tide raises all the boats. When oh, yeah. when, Wizard, when Wizards of the Coast, you know, launched Fifth Edition, it just brought more people into playing games. Yeah, you know, and we were like, we were so excited to see D and D running amok, and it, not just because at the time we had a D and D game, but also because we're like, you know what, that just brings more people, more players, more players playing games. And when they have fun with that, they're like, man, that was a lot of fun. What else should we play? And yeah. they're looking at it. And honestly, it benefits everybody. Yeah, so when I started it, in the 80s, it was the same way. We like, I, I played D&D at first, and then I was like, okay, I played D&D. Oh, what else is out there? Oh, there's a, you know, a Battletech role-playing game. Oh, yeah, check that out. Like, you, yep. you move to whatever else you want you're very interested in. Yeah, it, it definitely yeah. expands everything for sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is amazing how quality writers have... You know, you just think about how many cool IPs there are that have cool backgrounds, cool lore, cool universe, cool characters, so accessible. And it's like, great. You know what? Everything is not going to be the right flavor for every player, mm-hmm. but having enough so that there's, there's a place for everybody is just friggin' cool. Yeah. As long as there's something for someone, that's a, you'll find enough people to, uh, be able to succeed. That's the key. There's so many people exactly. out there. You're going to find the right people. <laughs> yep. Yep. So awesome. hey, you guys, you guys haven't even asked me about what's coming with that. <laughs> I know you, oh. <laughs> you guys have to be thinking about all the cool stuff that's coming down over the next year or two. Well, we assumed you'd just be like, I can't tell you. <laughs> uh, no, I can't give you specifics. I'm not going to tell. You know, like Santa doesn't tell the kids what they're getting for Christmas, but we can <laughs> certainly talk about interesting stuff. Well, what's what's coming down the line? Well, we know there's going to be a battle for Terra. Yeah. We know that there are going to be stories from all of the plot points that uh, that you guys have been reading about over the last 10 years. So one of the things that is interesting, because I am not a writer, uh, when I stepped in to, to uh, kind of overhaul the line, I very meticulously went through and I detailed every single plot line that was dropped. Yeah. <laughs> And then I reached out to the creative team and said, all right, everybody that has a plot line that got dropped, send it to me. So, like, when I hand things off to Ray, it was like, here's the list of plot lines that we have earmarked to do something with. And here's where we thought we were going to go with them. But we are absolutely absolutely, um, planning for... It doesn't matter which corner of the universe within Battletech that you love. It's going to get stories. It's going to get attention. Stuff's going to be happening, and you're going to want to be playing for the battles there. That sounds yeah. great. There is just so much. Uh, it's such a big world. There is probably is hundreds of stories that just uh, plot lines that have just been forgotten about, or so you can always. There's always something, right? There, there is, there definitely is. It was interesting though, cause some of them are like, okay, this story was presented to us this way, but it couldn't possibly work that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, like the guys that's like, okay, well, if you do the math, <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no way that I could have, like, one of the ones that always uh, struck me was we have the storyline of House Korea hiring the Wolf Dragoons. Mm to invade House Davian. And it was so spectacularly successful. We know that that happened. But I, there are very few fans that I've ever heard voice 
or try to figure out actually how how is that possible? Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, um, <laughs> how did I mean, that come about? Yeah, yeah. Not only not only how did it come about, but but really the dragoons weren't that big when they invaded House Davian. They invaded with more and better forces than they had. Yeah. House Karita. If you look at the logistics involved, how do they have that many ships to move that many forces around? And especially for the House Karitan um, culture, uh, like for most people that love or hate House Karita, no. House Karita is functionally, their military is ruled by a series of warlords. And the warlords are always played off against each other by the coordinator. That is the checks and balances. Yeah. How in the world did one warlord not only arrange to kill the entire royal family and then put in a puppet on the throne, how did they get all the other warlords to take a knee? I mean, you really think about it, you're like, there's a really good series of stories there. Something is up internally yeah. if that came about. And we know it came about. So a lot of the stuff is you look at it and you're like, huh, what's the story there? Uh, and I'll throw this one out to you. Uh, in fact, I'll throw a couple out to you because it's, it, I was very vocal at the, in the early days about there's a couple of storylines that were near to dear to my heart that I wanted to make sure that they got told. One of them is I'm going to tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are recreating the Great Death Legion. <laughs> awesome. And you are going to see the very first shot across the bow in Legends. Oh, okay. Great Death Legion will be, will really be reborn. Yeah, I, I know uh, there was some hints of it in there with the, some names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So th there's a big one. Here's another one. Clan Seafox dropped the Clan Diamond Shark name. It was noted as a footnote. <laughs> we have never seen what. Are you really trying to tell me that a clan had a total cultural change? And like, yeah, we don't like name? that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't. How did that come about? What had to have happened? And really, if you think about it, there is only one way that I can think of that that would have happened. Now, just so we're clear, I don't actually know. The, 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 <laughs> the feedback, the authors have not crafted this one yet. But there is only one way that I can think of that that would have happened. And that would have been a, a an internal civil war. Yeah. We have never seen a clan have a civil war. Oh, yeah. Think about it. Yeah, but you really like, think about it, and think about how fractured now they're all in IMAGs. Their their entire clan structure is different. They now live in space, and they're nomads for a reason. Yeah, how something happened. Hell, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what went down there? I want to know that story. That's an interesting read. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're, like you say, for you. yeah, you all go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, there's just millions of little things like that where it's. It just keep you, you're like when you think about it for two seconds. You're like, yeah, what? That doesn't make sense. What happened? <laughs> exactly. And you guys should all be thinking, writing these, writing your ideas down, coming up with like, what? What should this be? Because when we when we talk later next year and stuff, and at conventions and stuff, as we continue <laughs> to to go through and beyond the ill clan era, um, when after the battles of Terra happened, 
that is going to be the shit hitting the fan and the reverberations across the inner sphere are going to be, they're going to take years to play out in the real world. This is going to be massive. Here's another question for you. And I want you to really think about this. (laughs) How in the world are people with the name Merrick still in charge of the free world? Yeah. Like, how has nobody risen up to take that place? Hmm. Because the truth is, there would have had to have been a whole lot of stories in the background going on in order to make that possible. And it makes you wonder about the actual power struggle within the Free Worlds League. Yeah, Just so we're clear, the Free Worlds League is actually the nation that's written based off of the concept of the United States. They actually are a democracy uh, of yeah. independent states. If you equate the stuff with the United, like for most people, like the free world league feels like, oh yeah, it's disconnected or not. But they have a, a, especially over the last four years, a pretty visceral feel for what politics are like intra-state within the U.S. Really start infusing some of the U.S. power struggles that are going on in the real world using that as your frame of reference for what's going on in the free worlds league. And you'll start seeing that there's some great big gaping plot holes that we have clearly not been told yet. What's going down there. Yeah. What's happening in the free world league. Yeah. Seriously. So, and and especially when you really wrap your head around like, okay, so during the original clan invasion stuff, House Merrick was the military industrial state that was built up to supply all of the, the materials to fight the clans. They are the ones that had all the factories, all the tech. Yeah. In fact, all of the tech from all the other houses was sent to House Merrick to be produced. They got it all. Then the jihad happened. Okay. I can see that they got taken down several pegs because of that. But you can't tell me that the people who were literally holding the keys to all of the tech suddenly lost it. I'm not buying it. Something's yeah. Something is really, I mean, as tumultuous as, as the House Merrick space has been within the Free Worlds League for the, the I mean, in the last 15 years in the real, real world time, uh, there's got to be a whole lot more going on there. It's a hit uh, army they forgot about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And honestly, I think we only saw the beginning of it when Clan Wolf and uh, uh, House Steiner invaded Merrick's space. <laughs> that was the very beginning. And I think they were caught off guard because nobody had dared poke that particular bear. But it makes you wonder about the ramifications of they, they lost a significant portion of the Free Worlds League. What's going to happen next? Oh. Right? Yeah, now, now all I can do is think about it. Uh, I know, right? especially when you realize now all they're doing is that they're sitting right next to Clan Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> the Wolf Empire was carved half out of Free World League and half out of House Steiner. Oh, and they, gosh. Oh, yeah, they're now shoehorned right in the middle between these two things. And I'm like, what would the Merrick nobles do? And just exactly how organized are they? Because that was one really fractured nation. What's going to go down there? Because that just looks like a pirate pig waiting to go up to me. 
It's a lot of stories. That's going to keep so those, going, those, isn't it? Those are the three ones, huh? Coming down the pipe. Right, here we go. We can expect those. So those are the three so. I'm going to drop on you. <laughs> that nice. sounds great. Now we're all excited. Again. Yeah. yeah. So, well, Brent. Here's another uh, thing for you that will also get you excited. And hopefully it gets you right. excited to play. <laughs> One last thing. Um, if you were to come up with a theme for the next era in Battletech, it's going to be the NX. It is the era of the mercenary. Oh, because when the when the events of the battle for Terra play out, I wasn't kidding when I said the shit's hitting the fan. Stuff's gonna break. Things are gonna fracture. There is going to be an arms race. There's gonna be everyone with power is going to be scrambling to get military forces. Everyone without mm. power is going to be scrambling to get military forces. This is really important from a, a real-world standpoint. So I'm going to tell you what, what, why it's important. If you think about it, Battletech can be really daunting to new players because there's such a depth of knowledge. Yes. However, how do you get new players in to play the game? You put them in a little mercenary unit. You have them start from scratch. Oh, yeah. It, almost every single video game has been, you're a mercenary unit. You're yeah. building up. And the reason is because that's how it's accessible. That's how you get new players into Battletech. One of the reasons why we had such a hard time getting new players into Battletech after the Jihad is that the Jihad started by killing all the mercenaries. Yeah. <laughs> it made it really, really, I mean, like, really think about it. It made it hard to get new players in because they're like, you know, how do I play? Well, you got to choose your faction. Oh, who am I going to play? Should I be? Yeah, here's these 17 books. Read these up and decide which faction you want to be. Uh, like, sorry, that's a big hurdle for for joining in. Saying, all right, you're a mercenary. What do you want to fight? Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And it just ma it makes it so easy for new players to get into the game. So we are very intentionally making sure that the events that play out in universe cause an explosion of mercenary units within within the universe. So the storylines that go forward, you are going to see a huge amount of mercenaries. So when you're thinking keeping up at yourself up at night thinking about the way these plot lines are going to play out, they're going to be played out with mercenaries. And you get to craft your own. Yeah, that's a fun thing. That was always the fun bit about mercs in uh, Battletech is you can use the big ones, but you can always just make your own and have fun with it. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's good. That's gonna be that's a good gateway. <laughs> there you go. You had the gateway drug tonight. There, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brent, uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, we could honestly keep going on and on, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we need to save some for uh, next time. And uh, when it, when your little special project comes out, we'll be more in interested to see that and. Uh, Again, it was a, a very much pleasure having you on and, uh, and great awesome. chit-chatting about what's coming on and what's coming up. Uh, and just hearing about the stories and art uh, is is very uh, reassuring. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for your continuing support for Battletech, all that you do to keep the Battletech alive and thriving, uh, being fans of the universe and you know just being a part of the social uh 
the social awareness and excitement that is everybody surrounding the Battletech universe and getting in, rolling up their sleeves, rolling dice, and shooting each other on tabletop battlefields. So I appreciate <laughs> you guys more than you know. So, yeah, so uh, BattletechCatalystGames.com. Uh, you, you can get all the books and models and everything from the website there, correct? Correct. Uh, what then, about your uh, own uh, website? Do you, do you have one? Do you, yeah. Do you, yeah, do you have a website for your upcoming project yet or not yet? Uh, we do. It's um, creativejuggernaut.com. I'm sorry, creative-juggernaut.com. Uh, I will say just right up front, yeah, neither Blaine and I are web developers. And if anybody out there has like <laughs> graphic design skills and making websites look pretty, we can really use the help. So well, when you go, cool. there, it's not going to look pretty. And that's totally cool. If you want in, let me know. There you guys go. So there's a, there's a foothold if you're a web designer. Yep. Check them out. So, uh, uh, Brent, again, thank you very much. Uh, this episode will come out the beginning of January, New Year. Very cool. So, great uh, year for Battletech. Great year for Battletech. And uh, once again, it was a pleasure having you on. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. All righty. Have a good night. You too. Let's exfil out of here. Wow, you guys, that was a great interview, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> Brent, uh, I, I admit, you know, I was I was a little nervous, and that's why I didn't say absolutely anything at all. Uh, I, I had forgotten the guy's name, and it was just I couldn't think any questions, and that's right. I, I didn't even join the Skype call. Like <laughs> he, he gave us a lot. Of, he gave us a lot to work with, though, and he gave us some. Got us excited about some things coming up for BattleTech and the the new stuff that he's got coming out. Uh, that are mecha mecha related. Yes, this new uh, venture with Blaine Lee Pardo. So that's that's cool. Yeah, it, uh, the link will be in the description to the the new company, right? Yep, it's uh, Creative Juggernaut is the name of it. So yeah, yep. all that, and I'm sure we'll talk to him more once that uh, comes out. So he was a great guy. We've been real lucky with everybody we've interviewed. Uh, I'm always scared when you're two people that we're going to get somebody bad, and every time it's been great. So yeah. Well, just to show that the Mecca community is a bunch of cool guys. Mm-hmm. And and one of these and times I'll, I'll be listeners. able to join. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, if you couldn't have guessed, Brian wasn't actually there for the interview. <laughs> yeah. I, I Unfortunately, our schedules didn't, didn't line up as, as it were. But um, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to listening to it myself. So. Yeah, so I think with that though, uh, I think we that's a that's a wrap. So we're gonna get out of here. Happy New Year, everybody! This has been Mobile Armor Radio. Join our Facebook group by searching for Mobile Armor Radio. Find us on Twitter at M Armor Radio. Find us on iTunes and visit our website mobilearmorradio.podbean.com. Join us on the first of every month for more mecha discussion.